Good morning. I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Thursday, September 21st. Why the cost of rent in Tijuana is rising faster than in San Diego. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. The San Diego Unified Port District is backing local calls for the governor to issue a state of emergency over the South Bay sewage crisis. The port penned a letter saying, quote, This dire situation demands a coordinated state and federal emergency declaration. Imperial Beach Mayor Paloma Aguirre says the state's public position matters. The president would take it a lot more seriously if you have the governor of a state saying, this is a crisis, this is an emergency, my constituents are hurting. You need to speed up this process and not wait five, seven years, which is the approximate timeline that we're being given if everything goes according to plan and the funding is secured, which are big ifs. There is a federal plan to make improvements on both sides of the international border. But the U.S. government has only funded about a third of the $900 billion project cost. Today is forecasted to be cool and cloudy with chances of light rain this morning. Temps are expected to be in the high 60s in the county's inland areas. By the coast, it will be in the mid-60s, in the deserts, in the mid-80s, and in the mountains, should be about in the low 60s. The average price of regular gas in the county is the highest it's been since last October almost $6 a gallon. Prices have been increasing for almost two months. According to reporting by the San Diego Union-Tribune, experts say the increase is partly because of rising oil prices and maintenance issues at California refineries. Compared to this time last year, gas prices are about 58 cents higher. Coming up, San Diego's high cost of living is pushing people to Tijuana. (laughs) I look back at it now, I, I knew virtually no Spanish, More on this story just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. Rents are rising in a lot of places, and in Tijuana, they are rising twice as fast as in San Diego. Border reporter Gustavo Solis looks into what is driving this trend. Let's go ahead and see it. If you're looking for a place to rent in Tijuana, Gustavo Chacon is your man. He's a realtor with decades of experience. Most of his clients come from the U.S., all of them looking for cheap rent in Mexico. Here he is walking us through a brand new housing development in the Santa Fe neighborhood of Tijuana. And this is a completely gated community. And uh, this is a two-bedroom living dining room, uh, one and a half baths, and one parking area. All for just $850 a month. This place is 45 minutes from the border, but don't forget about the amenities. They have the two stores, they have uh, small plazas, they have parks, they have uh, uh, for basketball, for football, soccer. They also have a community center. Median rent in San Diego is about $3,300 a month right now, according to Zillow. And that's pushing some people to migrate south to Tijuana. Atenea de la Cruz Brito is a researcher who studies why. Son commuters, son personas que se mueven continuamente a su área de trabajo. She says most of the people moving to Tijuana are commuters who still work in San Diego. And this influx of cross-border commuters is pushing Tijuana rents higher and higher. 
Tijuana tiene ahora a la cabeza de los aumentos con un casi 70% de aumento. De la Cruz Brito says that rents in Tijuana increased by 63% between 2016 and 2022. That's more than double of the 30% that San Diego saw during the same time period. The Tijuana realtor, Chacon, gets calls from San Diegans looking to move to Mexico almost every day. Most of them are looking to pay about $500 to $600 a month for a house that's close to the border. To be truthful, there's not a lot of options. At least not for that price and at that location. If you were trying to get something closer to downtown, something closer to the Rio area, something closer to the border, they're going to go from $800 and up. <laughs> I look back at it now, I, I knew virtually no Spanish. Michael Hodge moved to Tijuana from San Diego three years ago. Growing up in the Midwest, he never expected to live in Mexico. I knew nothing. Of, I, I've been to Tijuana like maybe twice ever. Now, people ask him for advice, especially about public safety issues. And, you know, I just tell them it's, it's just like any other city. You know, if you act like a fool and, and make a spectacle of yourself and um, be disrespectful or, you know, it's not that hard to find trust. Before moving to Tijuana, Hodge lived in a two-bedroom apartment in Normal Heights, and he split the $2,500 a month rent with a roommate. When he moved to Tijuana with some co-workers, his share of the rent was only $300 a month. Yes, there are obvious savings in Tijuana, but also significant drawbacks. And the main problem is... Ah, uh, traffic. It's ridiculous. Excuse me, but it's ridiculous. Robert Martinez is a school bus driver in San Diego. His day begins way before the crack of dawn. Usually I wake up uh, between 3 and 3.30 in order to get ready, get my things ready. And by 4 o'clock, I'm out of my house. And... Martinez says traffic in Tijuana is getting worse every year. And experts like De La Cruz Brito agree. She says new construction and lack of investment in public infrastructure is causing more traffic. Compraron porque creían que vivían a 15 minutos de la línea, 20 minutos de la línea. Eso se convertirá en horas más las horas propias. For Martinez, Tijuana's horrible commutes are the real price of affordable housing in Mexico. Still, he has no plans of moving back to San Diego. I don't regret at all. Not at all. What I save, I, I use... What I say, I use it for my vacation twice a year. <laughs> Martinez and Hodge both have a special pass that grant them access to a fast vehicle border lane. Without it, both of them said living in Tijuana would be impossible. Gustavo Solís, KPBS News. You may have heard an updated COVID-19 vaccine is now available. Reporter Melissa May tells us where and when you can get it in the county. The CDC recommends everyone six months and older get an updated COVID-19 vaccine to protect against the virus. CVS pharmacist Safe Namek says their locations are well-staffed with people who can administer the vaccine. We actually started getting the vaccine uh, last week. Uh, so the majority of our stores in San Diego do carry the vaccine and we're offering it to our patients. NAMIC says you can book an appointment on their website, cvs.com, or through their app. San Diegans can also expect the updated vaccine to be available at Rite Aid by this weekend. The vaccine is free for most adults living in the U.S. through their private health insurance plans. 
And those without insurance can get the updated vaccine through the CDC's Bridge Access Program. Melissa May, KPBS News. In other health-related news, being a parent isn't easy. And add-on premature births or pregnancy complications, and it can be even harder. This month, Brady Children's Hospital is honoring Neonatal Intensive Care Unit, or NICU, families and the staff who support them. Health reporter Matt Hoffman spoke to new parents whose pregnancy didn't go as planned. Got your preemie language going. <laughs> Oceanside residents Clinique and Brazier Jingles are spending time in the hospital with their daughter Sienna, who was born early at 24 weeks. The couple says the last few months have been a roller coaster. Sienna was delivered at one pound, nine ounces. It has been a fear. It's been love. It's been apprehension. It's been excitement. They had no idea what to expect, including the bills. They estimate the cost of Sienna's care to be near $1 million, but thanks to insurance, they're only paying a fraction of that. It's the ups and downs, the couple says, are the hardest for NICU parents, especially when there's complications. I could see her struggle to breathe, and she was just fighting and fighting and fighting, and there was nothing I could do about it but just watch her fight. Sienna has been ahead of schedule and gaining weight quicker than expected. From parent to parent, I would tell someone, hang in there. It may take longer than you expect, but every day is important. After taping this story, Sienna was released from the intensive care unit, and she's at home with her family. Matt Hoffman, KPBS News. Coming up, what students at the La Jolla Country Day School are doing as a special remembrance of the Holocaust. We'll have that story and more just after the break. I'm Beth Accomando, KPBS arts reporter and host of the Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm also a geeky gourmet who likes to bake food themed to the movies I watch, like chocolate blood to savor with Dracula, or an extra chewy Wookiee cookie to enjoy with Star Wars. I'm geeky about the things I love, and that makes me a public radio geek as well. I love being able to connect with audiences just like you through TV, radio, the web, and podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. So, are you a KPBS geek? If so, then I'm asking you to get in touch with your inner nerd and become a member of KPBS today. Just go to kpbs.org and click the blue Give Now button and make a donation. That's right. Let's geek out together about the things we love. Students at the La Jolla Country Day School paused their regular classwork yesterday for a special remembrance of the 1.5 million children killed in the Holocaust. Education reporter M.G. Perez tells us what they did instead. 
In the midst of the Jewish High Holidays this week, all 1,180 students of the La Jolla Country Day School took time to remember the youngest Jews killed in the Holocaust. The students from pre-K to 12th grade collaborated in painting ceramic butterflies that represent peace and often loved ones who have passed away. Their artwork is part of the Butterfly Project, which teaches social justice through lessons about the Holocaust. Eight-year-old Eva Legette is in third grade and was intentional about her color scheme. Red means, like, love, and I love the color red. And blue means, um, like, if somebody's sad, you can lift them up and make them happy. All the ceramic butterflies will be glazed and put in a kiln for permanent display across the La Jolla Country Day campus. M.G. Perez, KPBS News. We are continuing our coverage of Hispanic Heritage Month by highlighting Latino creators who've made an impact on the San Diego arts and culture scene. Ethan Van Tilo is the executive director and founder of the Media Arts Center San Diego. He also founded the San Diego Latino Film Festival, which celebrated 30 years last March. Van Tilo spoke with my colleague Jade Heidman about his work and impact on our local arts scene. Here's part of their conversation. I want to start with your background in movies. When did you first get started actually putting together film festivals? I was back in 1989. It was my second year at uh, UC Santa Cruz. Uh, you know, I've always been an organizer all, all my life. Uh, I organized. I had cumbia bands and different musical groups from, you know, high school on. And so just organizing was just kind of a part of my, my nature. And so uh, I went to UC Santa Cruz. I started a band up there and started doing music up there. But then also uh, just when I was given this opportunity to put on a film festival, I just I just took it on and I got some friends uh, together, volunteers, and we drew uh, the actual poster. Uh, the professor Armando Valdez taught me how to write grant proposals to different departments at the UC Santa Cruz. Uh, how do you write a press release? All this stuff that I had never done before. He also connected to me with various, you know, Chicano filmmakers that I still work with today, uh, Paul Spinoza, Montezuma Esparza, Jesus Trevino, locally, Isaac Artenstein. And so th at that moment, I started like learning the process of uh, how do you organize the film festival? How do you get funding to do the film festival? How do you market it? And then I'm just the type of person uh, that just I can't do it once, right? And so I had to keep on doing it year after year. And you know, I think that's really important. I think that's why the festival locally here in San Diego has been so uh, successful is, 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 is that idea of commitment, you know, commitment to community. And I think now the festival uh, will be celebrating our 31st year in March of 2024. And I think the community now relies on it and, and, and you know, takes vacation and, and expects it. And, and not just, you know, the uh, Mexicano or Mexican-American community, but people from Chile, Latin America, all over, uh, you know, Latin America, Spain, Mexico, kind of rely and on celebrating uh, one's identity and culture, you know, every March here in San Diego. And for those who might not be familiar, what's unique about Latino or Chicano cinema? Well, first and foremost, uh, you know, in the mid-60s, uh, there was artists uh, like uh, Luis Valdez, for example, or the producer Moctezuma Esparza, who really came out of the Chicano movement, the activists uh, from that time. And they were not only, uh, you know, fighting for social justice issues here in the United States, 
but they really saw that you know that there was not any representation in, in mainstream news and in of course in Hollywood. So they were fighting for to tell their story and, and in that case to really promote the, the ideas of the Chicano movement. What would you see first and foremost with Latino experiences? Number one, I think uh, Latino directors, actors trying to portray a, a more accurate representation of the Latino experience, especially in this uh, border region that where we live in. And, you know, you founded the Media Arts Center in 1999. Can you talk more about the work you do there? Yeah, so the, the San Diego Latino Festival started growing over the years. We started as a small student film festival in 1994 was the first time. And it was about 1999 that we decided, you know, we should form our own nonprofit. And the nonprofit organization is called the Media Arts Center San Diego. And it has a broader mission of not only presenting the San Diego Latino Film Festival, but also educating uh, youth and young adults on how to become their own storytellers and, and filmmakers. So uh, in 1999, we immediately got a small grant from the San Diego Foundation, got some equipment together, and we just immediately went into the community and to try to get youth that otherwise wouldn't have this opportunity to tell their stories and to use this technology to tell their stories about their neighborhood and really just get excited about learning and education. And so we would go in affordable housing complexes in partnerships with the MAC project, or we would the County Office of Education's Migrant Education Program and teaching youth, mostly immigrants, second language learners, refugee youth on, you know, how to produce their own short stories. Yeah, it's like they're producing really impactful stories. You know, we're deep in the age of streaming. You touched on this a bit, but what makes film festivals so special as an in-person experience? You know, obviously during the pandemic, we all just got so used to sitting on our couch and, you know, accessing Netflix or Hulu or Amazon, whatever it might be. And it's incredible the amount of content that's out there. Uh, but some, sometimes it's a little, actually too much content, uh, and it's kind of hard to find specific content that you might like. Um, and we believe in the art of curation, for, for example. You know, it's just like a going to a museum. Um, you know, films should be curated. There, there's a person behind it, not just an, a you know, computer or an AI or algorithm that's telling you what to see. There's actually, you know, human beings that are curating these films. And then the actual act of going outside of your house and going into a movie theater, seeing it on the big screen with other people in the audience, uh, hearing people laugh and hearing the surround sound. It's just incredible. I remember the first film I saw, like post the pandemic, it was just like a reminder of, oh, how special this really is. And so not only do we encourage people to come to our San Diego Latino Festival in March 2024, but we actually run an independent cinema, a movie theater here. It's called the Digital Gym Cinema. We've run it almost 10 years, and we have a brand new space here in downtown San Diego. You can come here every day. And there's a one. There's a film every day, every every two hours, a different film uh, celebrating independent foreign films. And uh, currently, we're screening a, a Chilean film, for example. So we really believe it's important that people come out to the cinema and you know reconnect to uh, the, the the world of film the, the way it should be seen. That was Ethan Vantilo, the executive director and founder of the Media Arts Center San Diego, speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. Join us again tomorrow for the day's top stories. Plus, we hear about an art exhibit from the times of the Great Depression 
at the Oceanside Museum. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great Thursday.